You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Amen, amen. Happy Mother's Day to the mamas in the house, man. How about that? Hey, so I'm giving every woman in this room I'm making sure my wife's not in this room. Every woman in this room, permission to do whatever you want to do today. It is, it is your day. You do whatever you want, and your husband will deal with it. Amen? Amen, women? All right. Man, so we're excited about continuing on in our series. But before we get there, we do have a table back here in the back with a Mother's Day gift. Now, I know some of you, you may have walked in, and today's not an easy day for you. Maybe you've lost a mom. Maybe you've tried to become a mom and it's just not happening. And whatever the reason is, this is, this is my promise to you. That God is working. That in the middle of whatever you're going through, God is still God and He's still good. He still has a purpose and He still has a promise, which is what we discussed last week. But if you are a woman in this place, get a gift because even if you don't have physical children, you are a spiritual mom to someone, and we appreciate that because we cannot do it on our own as parents. We need your help, and you you ladies are amazing. So, Ruth, we're going to finish up chapter one, jump into chapter two, but I want to give a little recap just so we understand what's going on. So, this guy moves his family to Moab um, because there was famine in his land, and we say, well, what's the big deal? He's just trying to provide and protect his family, and the big deal was that God told them not to go, but he did anyway. Because what happens is that we believe that short-term comfort is easier than long-term faithfulness. And a lot of times, maybe it is. Maybe short-term comfort is easier than long-term faithfulness. The problem is the comfort goes away, and then it's not comfort anymore. And we saw that last week, that after they had moved to a place God told them not to move to, uh, the, the husband, the father dies, the two sons die. So then you have Naomi left with no husband, no sons, just two daughters-in-law. Now, I don't know how you feel about your daughter-in-law in this place, right? That's not what this is about. But just in case y'all don't have a good relationship, this is a good book to read because they loved one another. So one of the daughter-in-law, she goes back to Moab and she's like, hey, I'm out. I'm going back for some comfort and we never hear about her again. And then we see that Ruth says, hey, I'm going with you. We see that Ruth has her conversion moment, that she says, your God is my God, that she realizes that the God over all gods, the God of heaven is the only one that could satisfy her, and we're going to jump into them returning back to their land. So starting in chapter 1, verse 19, it says, So the two of them, Naomi and Ruth, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Now, you imagine this, right? It's been over 10 years, Naomi's gone, and now she's coming back, and the town is stirred. Now, if you've been in Harlem for any amount of time, you understand what this means. It means that there's some, there's some gossip happening. That she comes back and people are talking. The town is 
stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Now, Naomi means sweet. We, we heard that last week. And she's saying, hey, don't call me sweet, but call me Mara, which means bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? God, we just pray that you speak this morning through your spirit. We're trusting you to do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. This is, this is what's going on, man. They go back, and the, the town is, is stirred. There's people talking. There's people like, hey, so here, here is Naomi who went away to this place God told us not to go, and now she's coming back. I can imagine the little rumors and the, the gossip and the chatter that is taking place in this town. Because I can see how these people are judging her for leaving. And she comes back, but this is what I want you to know about these few verses is that she went away full. She says this. She says, I went away full. What was she full of? She was full of her plans, her ideas, her desires. And then she says, but the Lord brought me back empty. How awesome. I want you to think about this. How awesome is it that God would empty us of ourselves so that we could be full of Him? Because so many times we're full of us. We're full of our plans. We're full of our wants. We're full of our ideas. We're full of our control. And then God in His sovereignty, in His grace, although it may not feel like that, He allows us to come to the end of ourselves so we are empty and have nothing left. And then we become full of Him and who He is. And this is what is happening here. Verse 22 says, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now this word returned is the Old Testament word for repent. So what, what she is doing is she, she went away from God, and now she is returning back to Him. So this is the Old Testament word for repent. And when we're in these these struggles of life, when we begin to go through the, the pain, we begin to go through the, the consequences of our actions, or maybe it's the attacks of the enemy or whatever it is, we have two options, really. We can either run or we can return. And so often we, we begin to run away from God. We begin to, to run with our plans and our ideas and our control and our desires and wants, we begin to run toward the world and away from Jesus. And we have two options, man. We can run or we can return to Him. And we see that Naomi is returning. And the reason that she returned is because she was now empty of herself. See, here's the deal. Here's the truth. And I want you to know this. That as long as we're full of ourselves, we'll never run to God. If we are full of, of what we can do and we think we got this, then why do we need Him? We're always going to run 
away from Him as long as we're full of ourselves. And we need to get to a place where we're empty of who we are so that we can be full of who He is. But man, it's easier said than done. A lot of times we think that we've handed something over to God. Right? A lot of times we think that we've given Him control. A lot of times we think that we've emptied ourselves of ourselves and we're allowing God to fill us up. But what happens is as long as things are going well, we're okay trusting God. When things go bad, we need to pick it back up because we can do better. And you would never say that, but that's how we live life. That's how we act, is that we know best. And we say this here, and we're going to continue to say this all the time, but you ain't got this. Like, I don't have this. We have to get to a place where we are emptied of ourselves so that we could be full of God. Chapter 2, verse 1, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So here's the writer of this saying, hey, you need to pay attention to this dude. I'm going to give you another name. The name is Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So we have, we have Ruth who is like, hey, I need to go find favor, which is the Old Testament word for grace. She said, I need to go find favor and I need to glean. And what this is, is it was law back then for the outside of these farms to be untouched during harvest so those who were in need could come and they could glean from the outside of these farms. Now, this isn't a part of the message, but I want you to know that maybe you don't have everything you have for you. That maybe you have some margin in your life for the marginalized. That there's stuff that God has given you that's not for you, but it's to help other people is that you don't always have what you have for yourself. I know that's hard, right? I know, I know it's hard to get there, man. I know that we're really selfish people, and we think that we earned it. We think we deserve it. We think that God gave it to us for us. But man, we see all throughout Scripture that people were given more to give more. Is that people were given margin to help the marginalized. So here we have Ruth who's like, hey, I just want to go to this, this guy's farm, this guy's business. And the outside that they leave for the people in need, I just want to glean from there. I just want to take some of the outside harvest because I'm in need. And Naomi says, go. Verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold... Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. So here's Boaz, right? And, and here's just a little secret. If you, if you trace the lineage of Jesus, Boaz is there, right? So he is, he is part of that. And really here, he is the embodiment of God. This is God working through and in Boaz in this story. So when you hear Boaz, I want you to think about God working through him. He is this owner of this business and he shows up on a Monday morning and he tells his workers, he says, hey, the Lord be with you. 
the first thing he says. I don't know if you have a boss that has ever walked in on a Monday morning and said, the Lord be with you, right? It doesn't happen much. But here we have this, this guy that owns all this land. He owns this business and he goes to his reapers and he says, hey, the Lord be with you. And in old school style, they say, and the Lord bless you too, boss man. Right? This is like a responsive reading that they got going on here. He's like, the Lord be with you. They're like, the Lord be with you too. This is going to be a great day. And then they get to work. Maybe you own a business in this place, and I want you to know that the business isn't just for you. That the business is something that God has given you to steward to point people to Jesus. And maybe you don't own a business, but maybe you have a team that works underneath you. God didn't just happen to put you over this team. Like, it's not happenstance. No, it was sovereign appointment by God to put you over this team. And it's not just for you to be the boss or the leader of this team. It's to point people to Jesus. Everything we do should be for the Lord. Are you pointing people to Jesus? And wherever you are in life, are you pointing people to Jesus? Do you realize that the sovereignty of God has put you where you are in this moment? And it's for a reason way bigger than yourself. But it's for a kingdom purpose. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Now, when I read this part, I think a lot of different things, but on this day, on Mother's Day, one thing that I think about is, is mom. Because here is, is Ruth, and she is just trying to do whatever she can do to provide. And she has been working and working and working and working except for a short rest, man. And I, I look at my wife and the way that she raises our kids, and it's like she's working and working and working and working except for a short rest. So this is my shout-out once more to all the mothers in the room is that as you work, and you work, and you work, and you take a little rest, and you work, and you work, and you work, I want you to know that God is with you working in all of that. That it's not in vain that you are making a kingdom difference in your work. Verse 8, and this is we're going to land at verse 8 and verse 9. This is Boaz's response. He's about to talk to her, and this could go one of two ways. This could go, who, who do you think you are, right? Moab was just a, a dirty place, a place where they were sacrificing kids, a place where there were prostitutes in the, in the worship, or a place where there was just corruption everywhere. And then she decides, hey, so we're going to go over here to the people of God. And these people, they didn't like each other. So this could go really good or really bad. And she was about to find out. Verse 8 says, Then Boaz said 
to Ruth. Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Again, here we have Boaz, who is the embodiment of God. God is working through him. And we see four things here that, she, that he says to Ruth. And this is what happens when, when we're in relationship with God. This is, this is what happens. The first thing we see is that she has a, a new identity. That he, he says, now listen, my daughter. She has been called the woman from Moab, the Moabite woman. Pretty much, this is the, the sinner. This is the sinful woman. This is the woman who, who comes from a place who's completely against God. And Boaz comes out and says, my daughter. What a beautiful picture of coming in relationship with God. As He changes our identity, that He changes who we are. That He doesn't say addict. He doesn't say abuser. He doesn't say sinner. He says son and daughter. That we are brought from death to life. It's always identity before activity. And Boaz says, behold, listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. So he gives her a new identity, but he also gives her a new future. He says, hey, this is it. This is, this is now your, this is your field. This is your future. I know that your past is filled with all this craziness, all this pain, all this sin, but guess what? I've given you a new name, a new identity, and now I'm going to give you a new future. This is yours. Welcome to the family. How awesome is it in God's sovereignty that He sends Jesus on a rescue mission for sinners like me. And then when I accept that and I begin to follow after Him, I get a new identity in Him. I become His son. You become His son. His daughter. And He says, hey, here's a new future for you. You don't have to live in the past. You don't have to, to feel the guilt. You don't have to feel the shame. No, here's a new future. Welcome to the family. We get a new identity. We get a new future. Verse 9 says, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have Drawn. We get a new identity, a new future, and then He is giving her a new freedom. He's saying, have I not charged the men? Have I not told the guys, hey, do not touch her. She is mine. She comes from a place where men could do whatever they wanted to do to her. That she was a commodity in life. And Boaz says, hey, I'm giving you a new freedom. A freedom to walk in me. So not only are you getting a new identity and a new future, but your new future is free. You don't have to worry about all this stuff because I am in charge is what he is telling her. Like I am the boss and how much more is God sovereign over the things of our life? We get a new identity. We get a new future. We get a new freedom. 
And he says, and when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. We get a new satisfaction. We get a satisfaction that actually, that actually fills us. The satisfaction that only God can give. I don't know how many of you have tried to find satisfaction outside of God in your life. right? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm just going to be honest with you that I have tried in my life to find satisfaction outside of Him. And what I've learned is temporarily I can get some kind of, of satisfaction if that's what you want to call it. But it never fully and finally fills. That Jesus is the only one who can fully and finally satisfy the deepest longings of who we are. That there's nothing on, on this earth, nothing in this world that can satisfy us. And Boaz is saying, hey, go to the vessels and drink the same thing Jesus says later in the Gospels where He says, hey, so here's, here's the living water and that's me. Water where you'll never thirst again, where you'll be fully satisfied in Him. And maybe some of you, you're sitting in this room right now saying, I don't feel satisfied. There's a lot of stuff going on in my life and I just don't feel very satisfied. Really, I don't even feel like I have a new identity. I don't feel like I have a, a, a new future. I don't really feel like I have new freedom and I definitely don't feel new satisfaction. What is happening? What's wrong with me? And if you're feeling that way this morning, I want to encourage you that it really doesn't matter how you feel because God doesn't work on your feelings. That you have this stuff, right? But what we have to do as believers is we have to begin to tap into the truth of what God has done for us. We have to begin to tap into the truth that we are new. That we are His sons and daughters. That we do have a new future. That we do have freedom. That we do have satisfaction. And for me, man, what happens a lot of times for me is I begin to, to think about this and I say, well, why? What did I do? Who am I that I deserve any of this? Who am I that I deserve a new identity? Who am I that I deserve a new future or any type of freedom or any satisfaction? Maybe God really doesn't know who I am and I want you to know that He knows me. He knows all of me. He knows me fully and He still loves me and the same is true for you. He's the only person that knows you full well and still loves you. No one else knows every deep, dark secret in your life and you can say, well, yeah, they do. Nobody else knows everything about you the way that God knows everything about you. And guess what? He still calls you His. He still calls you His. 
Man, and that's scary and amazing all at the same time. And it's, this is the same question that Ruth is going to ask. She says, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? Again, favor is the Old Testament word for grace, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. She is basically falling down on her face saying, Why me? Why have you shown me grace? Why have you shown me favor? Who am I? I am a foreigner, not a part of this land at all. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. So up to this point, it sounds like Boaz is saying, hey, because of all this good stuff you did, you found favor. And if you've been at impact for any amount of time, you know that this is completely opposite of what we teach, that it has nothing to do with what we do, that it's all about him. And he's saying that I've heard about all these great things you've done. And if he stops right there, then I would be a little concerned. But he doesn't stop there. In verse 12, he says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. And here's the reason that she has found grace and favor. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What is happening here is that because the grace of God has covered Ruth, she begins to do good things. So we work from favor, not for favor. That because she had a conversion moment and said, your God is my God, that I want a relationship with Him, she takes refuge under the wings of God. And because of that, she begins to do all these good things. And Scripture is really clear that the good works we do aren't to save us, but it's so that people see the Heavenly Father. And because she's doing these good things, that doesn't necessarily mean that she is anything different. It's because she has taken refuge under the wings of God. Because she has given her life to Him. We work from grace, not for grace. And grace is firmly rooted in the sovereignty of who God is. See, there's nothing at all that you can do to deserve or earn the grace of God in your life. Nothing. That grace is firmly rooted in His sovereignty because He is sovereign over all things. We can take refuge under who He is. Under His grace. Under His love. Verse 13 says, Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. 
Listen to this verse. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. Here's how amazing and sovereign God is. That, that this woman who was leaving everything she ever knew, she began to follow after him. And in God's sovereignty, he, he sets her up with Boaz. It, it didn't just happen. It wasn't just circumstance. No, it was a divine appointment from God that she goes to this farm, that she begins to glean on his land, that he shows up. Who's this? She, he finds out who she is. He's already heard about the stuff that she's done. He's already heard that she has a relationship with the one true God. And then she begins to, to feel and to receive the truth of what it means to have a relationship with Him. A new identity, a new future, a new freedom, a new satisfaction that is the only true satisfaction. And then she goes to dinner, she eats until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. I want you to understand that God never runs out. That His grace never runs out, His mercy never runs out, His love never runs out. Nothing of God ever runs out that you can be satisfied and there's always some left over. God is sovereign, not just in the pain that we talked about last week, but even in the work and the perseverance of who we are. Even in the things that we do, even in the, the work that we do, the perseverance that we show, God is still sovereign in that. The question last week that we asked was, why does bad, why does bad things happen to good people? And I told you, theologically, that's a really easy answer, that there are no good people, that sin in the world causes bad things to happen. But the question this week is, why does anything good happen to such sinful people like us? Why does anything good happen to sinful, dirty, black-hearted sinners like us? And it's all because of the sovereignty of God. He's not just sovereign in the pain, man. He's sovereign in the perseverance as we go through life. It's all about Him. It always has been, and it always will be. We're going to close this morning with, with this. Psalm 107 verse 9 says this, For He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. There's some people sitting in this room right now that you are thirsty, that you are hungry, that you, there's something more that, you, that you're longing for. And you've been trying to fill yourself with, with all the things of this world. You've been trying to fill yourself with, with whatever this world can offer. And maybe temporarily you're satisfied to a certain extent, but you're still longing for something and you just can't figure out what it is. And I am here to tell you the truth this morning that Jesus is the only one who can fully and finally satisfy you. 
is that He is the only one who can fill you up. And some of you, you're so full of your plans and your ideas and your control. And in this place this morning, you need to be emptied of yourself and be filled with who God is. And I want you to think that you're a mistaker in need of some life coach, right? We don't teach that here. You are a sinner in need of a Savior. It's not about doing better. It's about knowing God more. And because we work from the grace of God, we begin to do things differently in our life. Some of you, you're still, you're still thinking about last week and you're thinking about the pain. You're thinking about the, the struggle. You're thinking about the circumstances in your life. You're thinking about all the heartache. You're thinking about all the hard times. You're thinking about all the things that you wish were different. And you want to believe that God's sovereign and you want to believe that God's working and you want to believe that He's good, that He has a purpose, that He has a promise. But you're just struggling to get there. And we see a father who takes his, his kid to Jesus, right? And he asks Jesus, hey, if you're able, can you heal my kid? And Jesus, in the amazing character of who he is, says, if I'm able, right? I'm Jesus, man. He probably didn't say it like that, but that's how I read it. And this father, in his darkest moment, his son is, is going to die. His son is, is possessed. His son is, is, he can't do anything for him. He has no power. He is powerless. He is empty of himself at this point. And when Jesus says, can I? And this father, as genuine and sincere as a father can be, says, I believe, but help my unbelief. He says, I believe you are who you say you are, but man, there's some doubts that creep in. I believe you You can do all the things that you say you can do, but there's some unbelief that's, that's settling in. I believe, but help my doubt. Help my unbelief. And it makes sense because in our, in our ability, in our vision, we can't see what He sees. And the question that you have to answer in this place is, do you believe? Do you believe that He is who He says He is? Do you believe that in the heartache and in the pain and in the struggle, that He's still good? That He's still working all things for the good of those who love Him? Do you believe it? And maybe some of you are thinking, I do, but I, I don't at the same time. And then I encourage you to cry out to God and say, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe that you care. I believe that you're good. I believe that you have a purpose. I believe that you're working, but I don't see it and I don't feel it. And there's some doubt and some unbelief. I do believe, but help. My unbelief. 
And there's some of you that you're going through it. You're, you're persevering. You're, you're doing the work. And even in those moments, God is still sovereign over all things. That God is still working. That He doesn't just work in the pain. And a, and a lot of times we can get lost in the fact that, man, God, he, He's a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's a chain breaker. He's a healer. And, and all that's true and all that's great, but, but you know what else he is? He's a, he's a loving father. He's a leader. He guides. He directs. He provides wisdom. It's not just in the bad times that God is sovereign. No, God is sovereign even in the good times. Everything that we have, all of life is because of Him. Do you believe it in this place? Because when you begin to believe that God is who He says He is and that He is sovereign over all things, over the pain and the perseverance, your life will never be the same. It's time to be emptied of ourselves so that we can be full of Him. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.